welcome to a new episode of Time to Shine. This is your host, Oscar Santolaya. Time to Shine presents you interviews with successful public speakers who share their experience and secrets with you in a weekly podcast. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. Have you ever needed to explain technical topics to a very wide audience? Me, I have several times, and I can tell you that it's challenging. Our today's special guest is a real master in public speaking about technical topics. Mikko Hipponen is a worldwide expert in internet security, and thanks to his extraordinary skills and unique style, he successfully advocates the importance of privacy and other security topics to the whole world. He has delivered several TED and TEDx talks, some of them have been watched more than a million times. Hello, Miko. Hello there. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. I cannot wait to hear your views about uh, technical presentations. Miko, could you tell us a bit more about yourself? Sure, I'd be happy to. I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a geek. I'm a nerd, um, and I'm a security expert. I've been reversing malware and viruses for 25 years. Uh, all those years I've been working for this company here in Finland called F-Secure. I'm currently the chief research officer for F-Secure, and I spend maybe 50% of my time doing research and, and, and low-level stuff, and 50% of my time traveling and going to conferences and doing keynotes and talks. Excellent. And when did your career as public speaker start? I didn't set up to be a, uh, a media person or a public speaker mm -hmm. at all. It just happened. And the way it happened is that when this company was much, much smaller, we now have 1,000 people. I was employee number six back then mm -hmm. in the early 1990s. And we did some malware analysis which hit the news. So, of course, the media starts calling us. And originally, I just ended up speaking with the media because I happened to be the guy who analyzed the virus they were asking about. And then it quickly became that the next time the media calls about anything, well, let's, let's, <laughs> have, let's have Mikko speak with them because that's he, he, he did it the last time. And then it just kept on happening over and over again. And when you do something enough, you become good in it, I, I, I believe. So I, I was pretty... pretty uh, used to doing international interviews and also started doing more and more speaking in conferences. And eventually I branched out from industry-specific conferences into more mainstream events, and, mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I do. Oh, so that's how it started. So you were not even the most talkative in the company at that time, no, were I, you? No, I wasn't. No, I, wasn't. <laughs> I have no real background or training in this at all. Of course, over these years I have... Mm. read lots of books and, and, uh, and for example, rehearsed my, my English because I mostly speak in English. I've never lived abroad, but I have, uh, have tried to keep my English understandable for international audiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And what was your... Okay, you tell us how this started and what was your motivation to continue and really become a, a great speaker? What was your motivation to, to define your unique style? Well, you have to have something you're aiming for. You have to have targets to what you're doing in life. And after I've, I had spent 10 years doing analyses of, of malware and ha tracking hackers, as well as you know, doing all these conference talks, I wanted to set some, some targets for myself. And one day I was um, watching TED Talks online on, 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 mm -hmm. on video. And I, uh, and I had watched several of them. This was 
10 years ago, so TED was already around. And I, uh, and I realized that, you know, these are really cool talks. And I, I'd actually love to be in the audience and actually be in one of the TED events. When I realized it's probably going to be very hard to get to, to, to these events. So I started, I, well, I set my target to, to go, go to TED and meet the people and, and watch, watch mm-hmm. the talks live. And I did reach my goal. It took me um, three years to actually get there. There's an there's a application process. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have two people to recommend you, to be accepted to the audience of TED. And then when you finally get accepted, you get to pay $7,000, I believe 7500 today. Mm-hmm. Oh. And uh, there's a two-year queue into getting in. But I, I passed all that, and I actually went to TED, um, in TED Long Beach in 2011, I believe. And I was sitting in the audience... Um, watching all these great talks live and in the audience you would see you know Bill Gates is sitting over there mm. and the Google guys are sitting over there and it's Goldie Hawn there and I was sitting next to this bearded guy who turned out to be Matt Groening the guy who draws The Simpsons you know, you know it was really <laughs> a great experience and I of course also spoke with the organizers um, I, I spoke with Chris who owns that and runs the whole show and Bruno Giussani who runs the European part of the of the of the event, and I floated the idea of of wanted to wanting to come over and and do a talk myself, and that then became my my next target, my next goal to actually go and do a TED talk myself. Okay, you start attending the the TED talk. That's really well. That's amazing. Now coming to your experience, this is one question I I haven't asked for a long time. I believe that. Every good presentation, the speech should start really strong, something that is unique. Could you rewind back to the past and tell us one opener that you consider really special, your best? Stories work. Stories work best. Stories work in everything you do, and it's the best way to compress what you're saying into something that people will remember. And the reason people remember stories is that it's in our genes, because that's the way we used to learn. Before universities and books, we would tell stories over the fire, and uh, those of our grand-grand-grandfathers who enjoyed hearing stories and remembered them well were the ones who survived better and made more offspring, and that's how we became to be. So stories are ways of compressing knowledge into a package that can survive distance and can be told from one person to another. And that's why stories still work today. And that's why I try to use as much stories and metaphors in my talks as possible. And that's not very typical because I talk of a technical field. I talk mm-hmm. about malware and online criminals and governmental malware of writing and, <laughs> and surveillance and uh, intelligence agencies. Um, but there are metaphors. There are stories to be told. It might be a story of a case we were working with, how we caught an online criminal. Or it could be mm-hmm. a story of, of like you know decoding encryption to find secrets hidden inside malware code. But I guess my favorite starter is from my TEDx Brussels talk from December 2014, where I tell a story about Beverly Hills Country Club. And, and Beverly Hills Country Club used to be a restaurant and an entertainment complex. And I tell a story about a fire in the building and a guy called Walter Bailey who was 19 years old who was the only one to take action to try to save people inside the complex during the fire he was a 19 year old waiter 
And while no one else seemed to be taking action, he was the one who stood up and took action. He went to the stage, he stopped the band, he grabbed the mic, and he gave clear instructions to people on what to do. And this happened on a night when the whole building burned down. Hundreds of people actually died in the building. Walter himself, 19-year-old Walter, saved hundreds of people from death. And that's a great metaphor for our time where we see things going wrong, but very few people are willing to act. And I used this as a metaphor in my talk regarding the things that we see going wrong in our online lives, especially regarding surveillance and intelligence agencies, which we all know is happening. We know that we are moving our lives online and we know we are being watched and very few people do anything about it. Very few people have the guts to stand up, go on stage, stop the band, grab the mic and do something. Yeah, absolutely. I... I liked very much this this opener, this story, and definitely is, is an excellent metaphor for this speech you had. The internet is on fire. And I just watched it today, this morning, actually, before I had watched it before when you just when you just published it, I think in this December, right? It's out of all the TED talks and, and, and TEDx talks that I've done, the internet is, is on fire is my favorite talk, personally. Mm -hmm. I, I like it. I think I, I succeeded the best with that talk. Um, I've done... I've done one official TED Talk, which was at TED Global mm -hmm. 2011. And official means that it's a real event run by TED themselves, yes. and the talks automatically end up on TED.com, which means they always get a lot of views. In addition, I've done, I think, 10, 9 or 10 TEDx Talks in various countries, and TEDx Talks are independent, and yes. they typically just end up on YouTube. Some of them are featured on TED.com. Mm -hmm. And I have two... TEDx talks, which have been featured on TED.com, TED and they've both made hundreds of thousands, one of them actually over a million views mm -hmm, as yes. well. But this talk, my latest TEDx Brussels talk, which is my favorite talk, has actually, hasn't been that successful at all. <laughs> it only has, uh, well, only 50,000 views, which is already, of course, a lot of views for a talk, especially for a data security talk. But uh, it's still my favorite talk. Yeah, it's great. So if you haven't listened to it, just go in and watch it. The internet is on fire. Miko, going to hear from you, what is your best piece of advice about doing technical talks? What are the most important elements in an effective technical presentation? Well, you have to be able to simplify because most of the audiences you're speaking to um, will not be able to handle tons of information in one go. Of course, this is different if you're speaking to a crowd of developers or research yes. engineers. Then you can, of course, geek out as much as you want. And for audiences like that, I do demos. Like I'm, I'm, I'm actually not showing slides. I'm, I'm showing the tools that we use, showing our backends, showing the reverse engineering mm -hmm. mechanisms we have, because they'll get it. They'll understand mm -hmm. it. Um, one practical tip I have for live demos, which I recommend to anybody who is doing demonstrations on, on Windows-based devices, is to use a small application which you can download from Microsoft, which is called Zoomit, which you use to zoom, so zoom mm -hmm. it. Um, if you just Google for that, you'll find it. It's a tool written by a friend of mine, Mark Rusinovich, who works for Microsoft, mm -hmm. which is just a way of zooming into a display yeah. to, to, to make the stuff that you're working on much, much larger, as large as you want. It provides you uh, a, a good way of zooming in and out. So that's, that's something which really helps when you do live demos. But for the audiences that are not technical experts, you have to simplify. And that's why I use stories and metaphors. I like to be as concrete as possible because 
in my field, which is the field of online security, uh, things often are very, very abstract. Um, most of the talks you hear speak about things like, you know, you know, like online crime is growing and we have all these risks, <laughs> but they don't really show you what it means. Like, okay, where are these problems coming from? Who's writing the viruses? Mm. Who are these guys? What do they look like? Where do they live? I'll show that. Look, here's a photo of, of Dmitry from St. Petersburg, who we caught last month. He wrote this ransom trojan, which locks your PC, and then you have to pay money to unlock it. So concrete, something which isn't, isn't um, abstracting it unnecessarily, but showing concrete stuff that really is easy to understand. Another thing I often show is collecting screenshots, anecdotes, and maybe videos from the underground forums where these criminals operate and where they sell stolen goods or where they sell online attacks. Um, for example, there's plenty of videos on YouTube which you can uh, find just by doing a YouTube search where online criminals are selling stolen credit card numbers mm -hmm. or advertising attack services where you can buy an attack to shut down a competitor's website. And these are excellent demos because many of these videos are very well done. Um, and my tip, technical tip there regarding YouTube is that um, you know there's so much, so many good ways of using YouTube videos in your in your talks, but you shouldn't rely on YouTube working and your internet connection working. Mm. So download the videos beforehand, download them in a format you can embed in, into your program, whether it's PowerPoint or or something else, and uh, and download them in in maximum resolution. The, the way I do it, I use an open source tool called YouTube DL, YouTube slash DL. If you Google for YouTube slash DL, you'll find this program. You can download or run it on your on your systems, works on all, all devices, and it will uh, download very quickly the YouTube videos you need to use in a format which you can embed into most players, into most PowerPoint or, or similar presentation software. Oh, thank you for all, all these uh, tools that you are recommending. Most of them I haven't really used it. That sound really... Well, video good, always really works in demonstrations. I, I, mm. I recommend yes. using as much videos as you can. And there's so much videos on, on YouTube you could use. There might be, of course, uh, problems with clearing the copyright. Um, depends on what you want to use. But for example, mm. in my case, I'm typically using videos made by online criminals. They're not really going to come after me for copyright violation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So then your main point was simplify... And the other is to be concrete. I, I, it's, it's, it's really true, this being concrete. It's so easy to go to the abstract, right? Say just, mm -hmm. and not giving examples, which is actually just how people will understand it. Yeah, just, you know, show it in as practical terms as possible. Like, what would this problem look like on your own computer? That's what it mm -hmm. would look like. Uh, and for example, I've spoken quite a bit lately about, uh, about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin, the online virtual currency and, and people know about it, but they don't really understand how it works. Um, and, and the way I, for example, explain Bitcoin is that, you know, it's the online equivalent of cash. Like just like in the real world, we all use cash. We all also use, you know, payment systems and credit cards, but we also all use cash. Just like, just in the same way in the, in the online world, you can, you know, move money with PayPal or credit card transfers, but Bitcoin is the cash of the online world. And just like cash in the real world is anonymous. Bitcoin is anonymous in the online world, which means cash can be used for good and bad. Mm. I mean, I use cash all the time, so do you. But then again, all the drug trade is done in cash as well because it's anonymous. And exactly the same thing applies to Bitcoin. It can be used for good and bad. Of course, people who do crime and want to move money prefer Bitcoin because it's anonymous. But it doesn't mean that Bitcoin is bad. 
It's, it's just a tool, can, can be used for good or bad. And that's a metaphor, that's a comparison, that's like simplifying what it really is. Yeah, excellent explanation. Miko, you already mentioned some of the tools you use. Do you use videos and you have done de demos sometimes. Mm -hmm. How difficult is to coordinate all this part together in a, in a full presentation, in a TED talk? For instance, there is some section where you are going to just speak. There, are, there will be some slides, another section for showing a demo in the computer. And another section could you could be showing something um, physical. Mm -hmm. What is the best way to to coordinate this all together? Well, when you're doing demos, you have to surrender to the demo gods. And, <laughs> and yes, it might go wrong. It's it's easy to go wrong with live demos, but you have to take your chances. And I'll tell you, when I was doing my, my first TED talk, which is basically all one long demo, it's an 18-minute demo, mm -hmm. I keep doing... Actually, I, I don't have a single slide okay. in my first TED mm -hmm. talk. I'm at the computer, at the yes. keyboard all mm -hmm. the time. I don't have a single slide. I don't actually run PowerPoint at all, mm -hmm. which means the risk of something going wrong was very concrete. Mm -hmm. um, but everything worked fine. I got lucky, and I had rehearsed it over and over again. I'm actually typically a fairly lazy rehearser for my talks, <laughs> but for the important ones, I do do take the time to do it. Um, one thing I do is that if I'm going to an important talk in some big conference, I uh, schedule a warm-up talk here at the office, at the FCQ yeah. headquarters. Mm -hmm. So I'll just, just send an invite that, hello, I'm going to this conference. Before I'm going there, I'm going to do a trial run in our auditorium here. If anybody wants to come and check it out and give me feedback, please do. And mm. there's always a hundred people oh. watching it, which is great because sure. you know they want to see what I'm going to say and uh, I get great feedback. And it also forces me to finish the talk before I actually have to go there. Otherwise I'm lazy and I might be finishing it on the last, on last the plane. day. <laughs> on, well, typically not even on the plane. Like next week I'll be in the United States. I'm lecturing at Stanford and uh, I know that I won't have my slides finished on the plane. I probably finish them on the morning before the lecture because when I'm in USA, because of the time difference, especially in California, I'll be waking up at 3 a.m. <laughs> and my lecture is in the afternoon, so I know I have all day okay. to do it. And that probably means I won't finish it until an hour before I go there, which is not the way I recommend it to anybody, but that's, that's the way I do it. And that's one of the reasons why I schedule these trial runs because it forces me to finish them uh, in, in, in good time. But yeah, rehearsing over and over again, that's that's great. And I do recommend um, like spicing up your talk with, you know, different kinds of things, not just doing slides, but videos, so, props, mm. demos, it works. Yes, now that you mentioned this, your very first TED talk, you also use one pro, was this overhead projector. You would make a trick there. How do you come up with this idea? Could you explain yeah. what happened there? The idea, I, this came up with a discussion with a, with a friend of mine as we were planning for the talk. What could I do there, which would be, which would be funny or different or wake people up. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and well, the idea of having the guy who's doing the most technical talk in the conference use the least technical equipment sounded funny. So I ended up doing it with, with part of the talk with transparencies and a classical overhead projector, which was a very nice gimmick. And you can see the or hear the audience reaction very well if you watch the video. Um, by the time I go and uh, simulate a crash down with my computer <laughs> and shutdown of electricity, I go and continue my talk by turning on 
an old overhead projector and starting to put transparencies on top of it and the audience just laughs because of course it's 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 funny and this is at the part of the talk where i'm speaking about preparedness and being ready for for uh, continuing operations even when things go wrong and then lights go out and i carry <laughs> on talking with a backup equipment and it was funny when i i uh, was discussing with the tech staff beforehand about my requirements for the talk and i told them that you know i'm gonna be needing this and that and uh I'm going to need a stand for my laptop. I'll be doing live demos and I will need an overhead projector. And then they emailed me back saying that, hmm, there's probably a language thing here. And we don't call them overhead projectors uh. anymore. We just talk about projectors. And I said, no, I actually want an overhead projector. I'm going to be using transparencies. <laughs> and they did get one for me, which also, by the way, had a backup lamp just in case <laughs> it, it burned out, but it didn't burn out. And the actual slides I'm showing there, uh, sorry, the actual transparencies mm -hmm. that I'm showing in my in my first TED talk with the overhead projector, I actually had them done by a professional. So I'm not much of a drawer myself. And I, so I, I hired a guy who actually did, did me a set of transparencies with, with colors that. and everything yeah with colors and multiple layers <laughs> like, you know you put one transparency here then you add on another top of it and it becomes different which is mm -hmm. a nice technique which some of us might have seen in schools decades decades ago but uh, yeah I, i'm happy how it turned out yeah that was really awesome Miko, internet security is a technically complex topic full of cryptography low-level programming such as assembly protocols a lot of acronyms all of this easily scares anybody if not, at least confuses anybody. Before you have the final version of your public presentation, how do you test that this is really understandable for a non-technical audience? How could you test that? Well, I probably don't. I, I'll just wing it. I'll trust that it's 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 right. Because um, the audiences are still a mystery to you. Even if you have a briefing beforehand about the level of knowledge of the audience, it's still a best guess from the point of view of the organizers. Mm -hmm. And many of the events where I speak are very large. There might be a thousand people in the audience or, or 2,000 or 3,000 people. So there's no way to know for a fact what the, what the skill level is unless it's something mm -hmm. really specific. So we are just... I'll, I'll trust that it's going to be okay. You can't really plan for every single single uh, plan you're talking every single way so you just have to rely and most cases it turns out okay you'll hear later on in the feedback section if you were wrong but I I, <laughs> I uh, mostly it's okay good Miko could you please share, share with us your favorite quotation well uh, this one I actually have used in my talks but I don't think I've actually attributed it to the original source where I heard it from and I heard it originally from a website called um, too long terms of service did not read too long terms of service did not read so t-l-t-o-s-d-r and that's a website which takes all these um, end user license agreements that you see whenever you s sign up for a service or install an app and you have all these legalese that you will not read and you click and yeah, it's okay. So this site actually takes those and, and reads them through and distills them into a couple of sentences that you actually can understand. You know, you know, if you start using this photo service, they will own the copyright to the photos you upload. Things like that. So a great service. I recommend it. T-L-T-O-S-D-R. And they mention somewhere on their website that the biggest lie on the internet is 
I have read and I agree with the terms and conditions. <laughs> and that's so true. That's the biggest lie because that's what we always say. That's what we all say. We all lie. We lie all the time. So they are so right. So the biggest lie on the internet is I have read and I agree with the terms and conditions. Very true. Miko, could you recommend us one book that has inspired you and you think our listeners should read it? No, but I can recommend you two. Excellent. Even so, better. So uh, many of the listeners probably have heard of Gar Reynolds and his mm. book Presentation Zen. Um, excellent books. Excellent books about how to do your visual setup right, how to do your speaking right. Uh, Gar has actually actually never met Gar. I think we've exchanged a couple of emails. He lives in Japan, but uh, he has actually a series of books. But especially Presentation Zen is the one I would I would recommend. Um, I know there's, um, well, since I'm a Finn, uh, a Finnish book I want to recommend here is, is Puhetaito from Juhana Torkki. Excellent book, but only relevant if you're a Finn. But the second book I really wanted to, to, to recommend mm -hmm. next to Gar Reynolds is a book which actually isn't about speaking, but it's one of my favorite books of all time, written by Amanda Ripley, and she's a journalist for the time. She's written several books, but my favorite one is called The Unthinkable. The Unthinkable, Who Survives When Disaster Strikes and Why. So it's a book about disasters. And Amanda goes through and interviews the people who survived different kinds of disasters and figures out why did they survive. Like what made these people different from the ones who didn't survive. And she goes through, um, you know, plane crashes, school shootings, survivors from 9-11, survivors from the Estonia ship wreckage uh, 20 mm. years ago. And it's surprising um, what, what she teaches us. And these are, it's a very well-written book. It's a very interesting set of stories. And these stories, I've found myself, I've used them several times as metaphors myself. I'll repeat what I said in the beginning. Stories work. People remember stories. You can use them as metaphors. Well, here's a book full of great stories. And it's a great book, Unthinkable by Amanda Ripley. So, yeah, sounds really, really good. I, I have to read that one. <laughs> Miko, finally, could you share with us a routine to shine, an exercise, something practical that you recommend to do it daily or weekly, regularly, as a routine to shine? I'd be happy to share my personal tip that I've been following for, for 15 years, which is that most of us commute to work. Some mm -hmm. of us work remotely, work from our homes, but most of us commute to work or at least travel a lot. So when you commute... Whether you're driving your own car or driving your bike or sitting in a bus or a train, don't waste your time listening to music. <laughs> don't waste your time listening to goddamn pop or rock songs. That's, that's, that's a bad idea. And don't take me wrong. I love music. I love listening to music. However, you can use your time much more productively. You can use your time listening to things that actually help you with your life and help you with your careers. And this, to me, has meant listening to podcasts, podcasts about, you know, technical topics or about learning or about, well, about public speaking or um, just listening to speech that helps you to speak better yourself. So, for example... My typical commute would first mean listening to uh, news stories from NPR, which I do with the NPR app, which you can install on your smartphone, which just tells you the latest news in four minutes, and it's in English, which is better than listening to it in, in Finnish because I hear Finnish too much already and I must <laughs> have to work in English. Mm. Um, 
then I will listen to podcasts. For example, TED Talks. Mm-hmm. TED Talks are 18 minutes, so my commute is 25 minutes. It's perfect. I, I listen to one TED Talk, getting to work, another one going home. Most of the talks work fine without the visuals. Some of them need the visuals, but they actually warn you. And, you know, this talk has powerful visuals. You might want to watch sure. it on video, but most of them require nothing else. Um, I've even listened to whole movies uh, while I've been driving in a car without the video. Actually, it's interesting. For example, Phone Booth, the thriller, and uh, I've, I've listened to Saving Private Ryan twice in my car, <laughs> which, is, which is a good tip. But, you know, podcasts, um, they, they will teach you and uh, they will teach you about speaking. They will teach you about telling jokes. jokes. I listen mm. to a lot of stand-up podcasts. Yeah. And uh, for me personally, you know, listening to a lot of English, which helps me better to communicate in English myself. So don't waste your time listening to music. Music is a waste of time. <laughs> When commuting. <laughs> yeah, when commuting, yes. Oh, yeah, this, I like very much your routine to shine, absolutely. And safe for endorsing the podcasters. Yes. <laughs> I'm also a good, uh, a big consumer of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of podcasts from other topics as well. Thank you very much. Miko has bring a great and educational and inspiring interview with you. A lot of stuff the in the way you, how you use uh, metaphors, uh, stories for this for the security topics and, all, and other technical presentations. And it's really, really helpful and inspiring. Could you finally tell us how people can learn more about you or follow you? What's the best way? The best way is through Twitter. Mm-hmm. So my Twitter account is just my first name, M-I-K-K-O, Mikko. And from my Twitter profile, you'll find uh, my blog and my homepage and, and listen, uh, from there links to my writings and to my talks. So see you online on Twitter. Excellent. Thank you very much, Miko, and all the best. Thank you. Dear listeners of Time to Shine, this is the end of today's episode. If you like our show, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or for more information, visit our website, www.timetoshinepodcast.com. Welcome to listen to us again next week.